Thank you so much for being here. And I've heard from our boys that made it to camp. And I see Ben. Uh, he drove them down there and he's made it back. So we're thankful for that. But thank you for those prayers for our group at camp. And ask that you will continue to pray for them this week. In fact, I commented to Miss Greta earlier that uh, this was kind of new for us. Went home this afternoon and there were no kids. And the, quiet, and the house was quiet. And so some of you have enjoyed that. Uh, you've made it to that point. And so I told her, I said, I guess this is the way empty nesters feel. Turning your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Before we get there and read... You might remember several years ago, the group Brooks and Dunn came out with a song titled Only in America. And I want you to notice these words. I've put them on the screen, the words of the song, because I think it describes how people felt at that time and maybe even feel today or dream anyway about America. Sun coming up over a New York City, school bus driver in a traffic jam, Staring at the faces in her rearview mirror, looking at the promise of the promised land. One kid dreams of fame and fortune. One kid helps pay the rent. One could end up going to prison. One just might be president. Only in America, dreaming in red, white, and blue. Only in America, where we dream as big as we want to. We all get a chance. Everybody gets to dance. Only in America. Sun going down on a L.A. freeway, newlyweds in the back of a limousine, a welder's son and a banker's daughter. All they want is everything. She came out here to be an actress. He was the singer in a band. They just might go back to Oklahoma and talk about the stars they could have been. Only in America, where we dream in red, white, and blue. Only in America where we dream as big as we want to. We all get a chance. Everybody gets to dance only in America. Yeah, only in America where we dream in red, white, and blue. Yeah, we dream as big as we want to. This song kind of describes the way people view or have viewed and dreamed about America, doesn't it? The land of the free. The land where you could get almost anything that you want, right? In fact, I've heard of people overseas that they dream of coming to America and living and working and being so that they can be free. Several years ago when Greta and Nolan were in Maryland, I was up there and I was riding to the airport and the driver there was from another country. And he talked about how the difference was in the country where he, where he came from. And how poor in this country would be compared rich in another country. And that's the way people view this land. We have been blessed in America. This is a place where we can dream big. But is it still that same America? Will it always be that way? What are some of the things threatening our very principles? Several years ago, 
I was talking with my brother-in-law who at the time was preaching up in Portland, Tennessee, a small town as well. His wife working at the school and, and several people began complaining about all the religious activity and the religious connections in the school. And so someone complained to the ACLU and they uh, sent down a, a judgment that these teachers had to take everything religious out of their classrooms. Uh, they couldn't do anything religious at the school other than attend their own religious place of worship. And that's in a small town. I was reminded of how when we were in a bigger area outside of Atlanta. And we went to our first PTO or PTA meeting for the kids in their school. And in that big area, though it was a great school and it was run very well, they didn't lead prayer. In fact, they didn't say anything about God. And then we are in Decatur and we attend the PTA-PTO meeting and they begin every meeting with a prayer. And so in some areas of this country, we are very blessed for we haven't been touched by some of those things. I was also reminded when my boys were little, we'd go to the ball field and the coach would pray before the game. And they would not schedule games on Sundays or Wednesdays because they saw those as special times where people spent time in worship and Bible study. But that's not the case everywhere. So why all of a sudden over the last few years have we been attacked? Actually, it hasn't happened all of a sudden. Over the last... 20 years Satan has been working. Working to get into our schools and our communities and our homes and split those things apart and pull them apart and pull us away from focusing on God. I want you to listen to something I found. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe it's in the library here. I'm not sure. But in his book and also DVD series, The Silencing of God, The Dismantling of America's Christian Heritage, Dr. Dave Miller from Apologetics Press had these words to say in the introduction of the book. The United States of America is undergoing swift transition as the forces of political correctness wage vociferous cultural war. Activist judges, secularist educators, morally bankrupt entertainers, and liberal politicians have teamed up to sell a sanitized version of America's past. Their objective? To expunge every manifestation of God, Christ, and the Bible from American life. What has been the result of their intolerant, relentless assault on the traditional American values that lifted the U.S. to its unprecedented prominence among the nations of human history? The moral and spiritual underpinnings of America's, American civilization are collapsing. He goes on to say, How can a nation that has scaled such heights and viewed such 
vistas stray so far from its original moorings. The Silencing of God series issues a stirring plea to the nation to return from the moral and spiritual depths to which she has plummeted and to reaffirm the biblical values that are being systematically stripped from public life. Recommendations are suggested on what Christians can do to save our nation from moral destruction. And maybe you felt that way. Have you ever had the thought that Man, this nation is just falling apart. The world is is just going to pot, isn't it? And in a sense, it is. And in a sense, it could also be worse. Just read the New Testament and see what the early church went through. And the kind of community and culture that they lived in and dealt with. So with those things in mind, what are some things that you and I can do? If those things are happening in our nation and in our world, what in the world can we do? First of all, I think, and most importantly, pray. You know, that seems like a simple answer, doesn't it? And many times that becomes a last resort. Yet that should be many times, most times, every time, the first thing that we do. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. I want us to look at several examples of Scripture briefly that tell us and show us the power of prayer. Now I want you to take note of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, I want you to look verses 4 and 5. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel. Daniel had been put over uh, certain areas in in the kingdom, uh, but he being a Jew and following God and, and wanting to please God, they became to be jealous And so, they sought charge against Daniel, but they could not find no charge or fault, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They realized, they tried, they looked, they searched. Is there anything wrong that David does wrong? Is there anything we can trap David in or Daniel in? And they found nothing. Then they decided the only way we can get him is if we find a charge against him concerning the law of his God. You know, that's exactly what the ACLU and others want to do to us today. They want to strip everything that has to do with God and that our freedoms that we have of practicing and living Christianity. They want to strip those away from us. So what did David do? Or Daniel do? And what can we do? Notice down in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early 
days. And we know the rest of the story. They passed the law. Daniel broke it. Knowing the law was passed, he still went to his house and he prayed to the one true God like we talked about this morning. And he was thrown into the lion's den. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Daniel was saved. God was there with him. What a powerful story about the power of prayer in the midst of persecution. And then I think about Acts chapter 16. Turn your wheel to Acts chapter 16. With Paul and Silas. You remember they were put in prison. And notice down in verse 25 what Paul and Silas did and how they handled this persecution. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And do you remember the rest of the story? What happened as a result? Paul and Silas in prison and what did they do? Paul and Silas under persecution and what did they do? They prayed and sang hymns to God. And as a result, the Philippian jailer and his household were saved. Those who were old enough to believe. What a powerful example of people from Scripture in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a society and a culture when the Roman government is oppressing Christians. And they pray. And God provides. But what is it we should be praying for? God, we pray that You will take Satan and his works from us. Might not be a bad idea, but, but I want to cause us to think and pray even more like such. Matthew 26 and verse 39. He, Jesus, went a little farther and fell on His face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Did you notice? Jesus didn't pray... Hey, just remove this cup. Just take this thing from me. But He said, what I want most, God, Father God, is I want Your will to be done, not mine. And what happened next? He was led away, beaten, made fun of, put on the cross, to be crucified. Because that, in that situation, was the will of God. So not only should we pray that God would protect us, but maybe even in the midst of persecution that we can stand strong. That we can endure. That if we're faced with death, that we too can be faithful unto death. Do you remember what God told Joshua? When He was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, filling the shoes of Moses 
Three times in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. This morning in our Bible class, we talked about in Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus is sending out His apostles, He reminded them that people are going to respond differently and households would be divided because of their reaction and response to the message of Jesus. And they would even face persecution. And He sends them out. But not without the message of saying, be aware, the world hated me first. So don't be surprised when it hates you and when it persecutes you. Revelation 2.10 Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. So what can we do? The most important thing in all the world. Pray to who? God who was in the beginning and is and always will be. And God will take care of us. And even if that means death, if we will be strong and courageous in the Lord, we will have a crown of life. And then the second thing, and I believe an important thing is, we need to live it. The people that know us, do they know who we serve? Can they tell that I'm a Christian? If not, why not? Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, you remember it, the Sermon on the Mount? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. Why? And it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he says, You let your light so shine before men. Not that you will receive the glory, not necessarily for the pats on the back, but so they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want to share a story with you that I read not too long ago about a gentleman, a professor who was teaching in Pennsylvania. He became friends with a young Jewish boy who eventually became a Christian. He tried to mentor him and give him direction and how to live the Christian life. And he told him about a church, a good church, that was known for teaching the Bible. And he encouraged him to go and be a part of that church. And so he did. His friend did. And later when he crossed paths with his friend again, he asked him how things were going. And this is the response from his friend, his young Christian friend. 
He said to me, you know, if you put together a committee and asked them to take the Beatitudes and create a religion that contradicted every one of them, you would come pretty close to what I'm hearing down there at that church. Whereas Jesus said, blessed are the poor down there, they make it clear that it's the rich who are blessed. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, but the people at that church have a religion that promises happiness with no crucifixions. Jesus may have lifted up those who endured persecution but because they dare to embrace a radical gospel. But that church declares a gospel that espouses middle class success and affirms a lifestyle marked by a social prestige. The professor said as I listened to those words from my friend about the church, he realized they just as well could have been aimed at him. And he said since that conversation, he spent a lot of time reflecting on whether his lifestyle really reflects that of a Christian. You see, not only should we pray about it, but we need to live it. Because if we're not living it, we're not giving direction. We're not showing people. And folks, I'm not talking about just when things are good. I'm talking about when things are difficult. When things have touched your life and you don't know where to turn other than God, can people see it? Watch the movie the other day about an Amish community and a man came in and killed several of their children during the day at school. Not long after that, and he killed himself there, not long after that, several of the men from that Amish community went to the house of that man's wife and said, we forgive your husband. The media and everyone else couldn't believe it. But as a result of their practicing forgiveness like they read in Scripture, God was glorified and people were led to God in that movie. Powerful. In the midst of difficulty. Not only did they preach it, not only did they teach it, not only did they try to share it with their families, but even in the midst of difficulty, they lived it. And that made all the difference. Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When the world seems like it's going to pot, pray about it. Pray that God's will will be done no matter what our government does or says or that of the world. And live it. If I say that I'm a Christian, God expects me to live it. But what else can we do? Realize ultimately, God is in control.
All through Scripture, we see this theme that no matter the circumstance that's happening in the world, whether a government is oppressing people, killing people, taking advantage of people, God has always been in control. And He always will be in control. I'm reminded of the situation of the children of Israel. You remember when they were in captivity in Egypt? They cried for years and years to the Lord. And finally God prepared and then sent Moses. So Pharaoh finally let them go. And they're camped at the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh has a change of heart and he sends 600 plus men, soldiers, after the children of Israel. And you might say they were caught in a rock, being between a rock and a hard place, Exodus 13 and 14. Can you imagine? Nowhere to go but water this way. And an angry pursuing king, leader, and his army the other direction. Are you going to live it? People of God? And God used Moses to part the Red Sea and the children of God walked through on dry land. And then when Pharaoh and his army got there, that water came back too. And Pharaoh's army perished. I also think about in Exodus 16 and 17, when the Israelites were out in the wilderness, wilderness wandering, they didn't know what they were going to eat. And so Moses approached God and God provided manna from heaven above and water from a rock. Who's in control? God is in control. I came across a story about a man who really didn't know much about art. But he was looking at some art one day and he came across this painting. And in this painting, he sees an older gentleman standing in his underclothes, holding the hand of a little child in patched up overalls. It's obvious that tears are coming down this child's eyes because before them, it appears that their house, their home, everything they own had been burned. And beneath the picture were the words which the artist must have felt this older gentleman was speaking to the boy. And they simply said this, Hush, child, God ain't dead. When it seemed like they had lost everything, this gentleman said, Hush, God ain't dead. Dead. Two passages and then the lesson will be yours. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Another, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? 
He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the end of time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And he closes that section by saying this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Yes, when we look at our world, it seems like things are really messed up. And you know the reality is? They are. They are messed up. But instead of getting discouraged, let's remember who's in control. Let's live like we know who's in control. And live like the example of Christ as best we can and pray about it. As long as Satan is working, things can get bad. But we know that God's in control. And we sing about it. Do you long for it sometimes? That heavenly home. Where there is no pain, no suffering, no persecution. And the glory of God shines. And we can walk those streets of gold. Do you need to respond to the Lord's invitation? It's our prayer that if you need to do that tonight, we are so thankful that you're here. And I hope that this lesson reminds us, instead of being discouraged... Let's remember that God is in control and we live for Him. Maybe there's some burdens in your life. Maybe there's some things you're carrying that's too heavy. And you need to unload those tonight so that people can see you living the Christian life even in the midst of difficulty and walking in peace knowing that God is in control. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, don't wait another moment, but come forward and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing.